This morning we are uh, again continuing to look at uh, what it means for us to, to share uh, the kingdom. And it's, it's been interesting kind of working through this series uh, for, for myself um, just in, in reading and um, starting to, to look at my interactions, especially in the community around us, uh, my interactions, you know, the stores or, or, or other places as, as opportunities to, to open my eyes and see what God is already doing in the world around me and to look for ways that I might partner with what God is already doing. And, and that's, um, you know, the, the term that we've given to that in, in the last couple of weeks is the missio day, the mission of God, um, which we kind of defined as alerting everyone everywhere to the universal reign of God in Christ, which sounds kind of very big. I hope it does sound really big because I think the, the kingdom of God is expansive and, 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 and big and it impacts the entire cosmos, and it impacts us as individuals. But it is just huge, I think, the scope of the kingdom. And I think that's why the prophets, I think that's why John in the Revelation is just kind of trying to give little glimpses and why they're struggling to give full voice to um, what the kingdom of God is completely about. I think it's also why Jesus chooses so many times uh, to talk about the kingdom of God in parables, in in little glimpses, is because I think it would just blow our mind to try and uh, give description to all of what is encompassed by the kingdom of God. And so they're, they're giving us little snippets, little bite-sized morsels that, that maybe we'll be able to handle. And even those I find, uh, you know, when Jesus gives a, a parable and says the kingdom of God is like, and it's often a, a simple picture, and yet the more you uh, meditate on it, the more you reflect on it, uh, I think it starts to blow my mind, too, as to what Jesus is talking about. Last week, we took a a little deeper look into um, the sent and sending God, looking at how God is sending God's self over and over and over again, uh, beginning at creation. Uh, We see uh, his message coming through uh, Moses and and Abraham and and the prophets, Um, and then most fully in Jesus and uh, last week, we you know, looked at one of the most famous, probably uh, memorized pieces of, of Scripture in, in all of the Bible, uh, and that was, for God so, and what's our word, next word? Loved the world that He gave or sent His only Son. And so today, uh, we're going to be kind of expanding from that last week. Uh, John 3.16 comes near the beginning of John. Uh, This text, John 20, comes near the end of John. And so last week, uh, it's kind of the start of Jesus' ministry, and he is uh, stating something of his mission, that God has sent the Son out of love, not to what the world? Not to condemn the world, but, to, uh, but so that the world might be saved through him. That is to redeem and to renew and to restore. 
Like I said, this week's text comes following the resurrection and is Jesus kind of passing along his mission. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. And he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And so we're going to take a little bit deeper look at this passage and what this might mean for us as far as uh, us being sent. And so as we do that this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Help us to tune our ears, our eyes, our hearts, uh, and everything about us uh, to the song that your spirit is singing ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 20, uh, 19 through 22 comes uh, following the resurrection, and this is Jesus appearing to his disciples. Uh, We're given the detail that the doors were locked. We know that the disciples uh, following Jesus' arrest, they kind of scatter, they go their separate ways. Uh, Peter's denying he even knows Jesus. Uh, everyone's kind of going and hiding because they're not sure of what the, the ramifications of Jesus' arrest and trial are going to be for them personally. And so after the, the crucifixion, they kind of gather together and they lock the doors because they're afraid that they're next. And that door-locked um, little detail uh, highlights that Jesus suddenly appearing in their midst is, is miraculous. What we get here in John's uh, version of the story is kind of the Great Commission, which we, we tend to flip to the end of Matthew. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's kind of what we recognize as the Great Commission. Well, John is kind of taking that and taking uh, Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes, and he's kind of smushing them together here uh, at the end because Jesus... Jesus is sending out, passing along his mission uh, to his disciples and and to the church, and he is breathing on them uh, the spirit, his his pneuma, his breath, spirit is all kind of tied in there together. Jesus uh, being sent by God, sent by the Father, is, is really a key theme that runs throughout Uh, John's uh, version of the gospel, that Jesus is sent by the Father, that he is uh, speaking the words of the Father, that he does the will of the Father. Everything that Jesus is doing in John is kind of an extension of what God's will, God's word is. Jesus is God's messenger, God's envoy, now not through a mediator like the, the prophets had been, not a mediator like Moses had been, but this is God in the flesh coming and bringing God's word, God's will, God's action to bear on our world. So Jesus says then, as the Father has sent me, how is Jesus sent by the Father. There's two words. Um, one of the hazards of trying to give sermon notes um, 
in before you've kind of finished the sermon is that some things probably get left out <clears throat> in the sermon notes. But if, I, if, if you're going to write down two words this morning, that first word is going to be incarnation. Incarnation. In the flesh. Um, I read years ago, and this has kind of stuck with me, uh, you know, if you go and you order Mexican food, you can get something con carne with meat. That carne is the same uh, part of the word as incarnation. So this is God with meat on it, is Jesus. In the, in the prologue to John, we read that the word, the, the explanation of God, the logos of God became flesh and dwelt or abided. Um, that word is actually connected to the Old Testament tabernacled or tented with us. God is, is dwelling with his people and abiding with them, staying with them, sticking with them. Uh, Eugene Peterson interpreted it, God moved into the neighborhood. <clears throat> that God, the, universe, uh, the God of the universe decides to take up residence with humanity. And, and it, you know, it continued to blow my mind that God doesn't choose like the nice, posh um, t- uh, temple or, or palace to come and abide or tent or abide. Uh, stick with us. God chooses uh, the, the broken down neighborhood, the, the slummy parts of Rome. Uh, and we know it's slummy because there are people in Jesus' life that surround him that ask the question, can anything good come from Nazareth? Think of a place that you've wondered, can anything good come out of that neighborhood? We've only seen bad come out of that neighborhood. Or that neighborhood has a, a reputation I imagine that's the kind of place that Jesus comes and dwells and abides with humanity. So one of the ways that Jesus is sent is incarnation. Another way, I think, pattern that Jesus is sent, and this would be your second word, and this one is in the sermon notes, cruciform. The cruciform nature of Jesus' mission. Now, cruciform means cross-shaped. Throughout church history, it's been used to define church buildings that were structured in the form of a cross, and it was a a cruciform building, or um, different pieces of art would have a a, a cruciform um, dynamic to it. Or, and this is one of the unfortunate things of Christendom European history is, uh, our swords have been cruciform. Um, that's, that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. <clears throat> but it's that word cross-shaped. Uh, some people might prefer the term Christoformed, but uh, formed after Christ. Uh, but we're talking about the same, te- same thing, the self-sacrificial love of God in Jesus. That God so, what the world? Loved the world, a love which God, in which God becomes vulnerable. We talked about that last week. Jesus' mission doesn't just make him vulnerable, though. We, that's kind of where we went last week. Vulnerable to me says that there's a chance something bad might happen. 
there's a chance something bad might happen because you're vulnerable, you're, you're, you're out there, you're, you're open. But Jesus, I think, ratchets that up. He knows something bad is going to happen. And he intentionally chooses to move in that cruciform, that cross-shaped path of mission. You read any, any of the Gospels, there's some uh, dynamic to, you know, my time has not yet come, or now my time has come. In, in John, Jesus at one point uh, sets his sight on Jerusalem, and he knows that's a one-way trip. He knows that not only is he vulnerable, but this trip will result in his death. It is a cruciform, it is a cross-shaped path that Jesus embarks on. Again, ratcheting up the, the vulnerability theme from last week. So those two words, incarnation and cruciform, those are kind of the two patterns that I want us to kind of um, think about this morning. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I send you. And so what does it look like for us as those that are trying to follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to follow in those patterns? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so we think about what does it mean for us to participate in incarnational mission. Now, when I use that word, I don't know if you need to be reminded of this, but we are not God. And there are parts of Jesus' ministry that we cannot duplicate, right? We cannot die for uh, the saving of the world. First of all, we don't have to. That's been done. So you don't have to die for the world. Um, or the sins of the world. Nor do we, uh, we have, so we don't have to embark on that part of the incarnational peace. But we look for patterns, and one pattern is the incarnational pattern of God's mission. And what that means is God moves into the neighborhood, God uh, takes up residence close to humanity. Not just close, but you know, he's in the thick of it. And so what does that mean for us to be in the thick of it, in, in connection, in proximity to people? Sometimes people intentionally choose to uh, live in a neighborhood or to enter into a space to be with a group of people uh, to live and to bless the people that are in a specific place, and they might choose to intentionally move into that place. Um, I think in, in church history, uh, a couple of you know, famous examples might be uh, Francis and then Claire of Assisi, who intentionally chose to live among the poor. And so they recognized that, that they were being called to that place, and so they not only did ministry with or to uh, the poor, but they lived with them. They, they lived in those patterns so that they could identify with the people that they were serving and loving. A more contemporary uh, example 
there's lots of them, okay, but I'm just picking a couple. Um, Shane Claiborne and the Simple Way community that live in the projects of Philadelphia. Um, a group of people who have chosen intentionally to live in a slummy part of the city to abide with them, to live with them, to experience what it's like to have, uh, you know, guns going off at all hours of the night around them, to, to experience what it's like to, to live hand to mouth, to, to be in community, be in proximity, to be very incarnational in the way that they are trying to connect and love and transform the place that they have been called to live. I know of another group of folks that are living in one of the drug centers on the outskirts of Nashville who have worked at at redeeming the community around them, worked at trying to to educate and and trying to provide um, training in in, uh, different skill sets and and trying to bring a, a little piece, a little glimpse of the kingdom to their neighborhood. But they do that by living in the community. By, by suffering with the community, by rejoicing with their neighbors when, when there's good things that happen, when they start to see people come out of addiction or, or to be able to have a job that begins to provide for their family, they're there to rejoice with them, to celebrate with them, and to continue to demonstrate the kingdom. And so sometimes there are people who intentionally choose to move into a place to be with people. But I think sometimes we are uh, called to alert people to the reign of God that we happen to already live and work and shop around. My guess is, and, and this is probably stereotypical, but uh, hear me out here. My guess is that if you're living in and around the Hershey community, the truth is you didn't move here to be around the least of these. Um, It's not really why I moved to the area. And yet, the lost, the least, the left out, folks with brokenness in their lives, the rich who are caught in a rat race, the working poor trying to make ends meet, they live in Hershey. They live in Palmyra and Anvil and the places around that you already live in. And the universal reign of God is true for them too. And so I believe that sometimes God calls us to intentionally move into proximity with a group of people, to live and experience what they're living and experiencing. And I'm thankful for people who respond to that call and are very intentional, very incarnational in going to those places. But sometimes... God is also just calling us to be more intentional and incarnational in the places we already live and work and shop and vote and all of that kind of stuff. So being sent doesn't mean I'm asking you to move. Maybe God is, but I'm not. 
Sometimes the Spirit just calls us to intentionally take up residence with a particular people that we are already residing with. Incarnational means getting our hands dirty with those around us. It means wading into the muck and the garbage of those to whom you are sent. So incarnational. The second word then was cruciform. What does it mean for us to uh, participate in a cruciform way of life or mission? One person puts it this way. The cross is the supreme revelation of God's power in weakness. And the resulting paradox is that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, which comes out of 2 Corinthians. Just as God's power was made perfect in the self-emptying weakness of Jesus at the cross, Christian leaders, and I, hear me, when I say leaders, right now I'm talking all of us. Christian leaders are people who live the cross, humbling themselves, voluntarily divesting themselves of their rights and privileges, trusting not in their own wisdom, insisting not on their own way, doing nothing out of selfish ambition, seeking not their own advantage but the benefit of others, in humility, considering others better than themselves, giving up their lives for the sake of the lost, the vulnerable, and the neglected. You and I cannot die for the sins of the world. It's already been done once and for all. But the pattern of surrendering our lives or giving up pursuing our own self-interest for the sake of alerting others to the universal reign of God in Christ, this is the kind of life that you and I are invited to. The way of whole or everlasting or eternal life is through death and dying to ourselves. Giving up our own agendas. And when, we, um, when we baptize, you go under the water. And that is a, a symbol of your dying to self. It is a symbol of you giving up your own selfish ambition. When you come up, it is a symbol of new life because you have symbolically died. Now you are being symbolically raised to a new life. But that baptism is a picture of dying to self. And sometimes... In the church, we have made mission or evangelism about just making converts. And often what we mean by that is arguing or rationalizing with people to agree with our way of thinking. And I think sometimes it would be more comfortable for us uh, to convert somebody than to die for them. Or if we're you know, we tend to be service-oriented. 
doing practical expressions. I think sometimes we'd rather um, write checks or, or, or uh, attend fundraisers or things like that. And please hear me, those are needed things. But sometimes we say, well, that's a whole lot easier than getting my hands dirty, of, of risking something that's really important to me. We'd rather do one of those things than die for those around us. To really risk. Sometimes we'd like to do the easier thing. Now, when I talk about cruciform, uh, this was a, again, I, I, I said it's, it's been interesting starting to go through this series and then um, having things that, that pop up in, in everyday life that um, you wonder, what does, what does missional mean? What does cruciform mean? And I had this experience uh, Friday, I was, uh, I was on the road, and um, started to come up behind a, a pickup truck, and it had, the, the back window was um, taken up by a, a large political sign. Uh, and out the window, I see a hand, and the hand is just out here, and, and I, I pull up and I, I pass him, and he's holding a cross, um, now, there's all kinds of conversations to have here. The first one would be, you know, the safety of everyone around them because, you know, I assume he can't see out the back window and he's driving down, you know, not that I always have two hands on the steering wheel, but I'm usually not hanging something out the, the window. And he's putting everybody's uh, safety in jeopardy to begin with. But also mixed messaging. Who are we proclaiming? I know the person on the political sign didn't die for me. I can't say that I've experienced that person or, I mean, I haven't experienced a lot of uh, politicians necessarily living a cruciform life. Just holding up a cross does not mean cruciform mission. And it can be antithetical to what cruciform mission really means. As we think about, um, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, I think there are lots of other patterns that we might talk about um, in Jesus' life. There's other patterns for how Jesus is sent, patterns of uh, identifying with the marginalized, patterns of 
healing, and, and you and I might not bring healing in the same way as Jesus, but, but I think we are invited to be a, a part of God's mission and assist with God's healing work in people's lives and in our communities. And so uh, Jesus is a healer, and so I think um, that's a, a pattern that we can look at and, and try and uh, be a part of in ways that we're capable of seeking healing uh, in people's lives or in our community. Another pattern in Jesus' life and ministry was a, a pattern of reconciliation. It's a, a ministry, Paul says, is handed to us. Patterns of, uh, of justice or making things right that we see in, in Jesus' life. But how do we learn these patterns? How do we look at Jesus' life and see how he was sent and and think about what does that mean for our life and the way that we uh, embark and and participate in God's mission in the world? And how do we know we're following a right pattern? We need to be constantly going back and learning from Jesus. We aren't just sent once we have it all figured out. I think that's, uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a, um, I'll always think it's kind of a a weird thing that God sends us out uh, before we're fully equipped, but you know, he does that with the disciples. They weren't sent only after they had it all figured out. Even once they were sent, they had learning to do, and they didn't always get it right. They had disagreements with one another. But we are sent, and we still need to learn. And so we look for patterns for how Jesus was sent. And in order to do that, we need to be uh, diving into Scripture and reading Jesus' life over and over and over again, seeing how Jesus was sent. We also need to, to read the scriptures that Jesus would have read, which is the Old Testament. I know sometimes in the, in the Church of the Brethren we say the New Testament's our creed, but you know we probably should read the scriptures that Jesus would have read too. That's the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible. You know, we are not sent as lone rangers. We'll talk more about this in coming weeks, but Jesus doesn't send his disciples off on solo missions. Paul doesn't go on solo missionary journeys. And so you and I are called to discern together as a community the patterns of Jesus' sentness and how we follow that in our own sentness. So we need to be diving into Scripture reading Jesus' life, looking for those patterns of how Jesus was sent and how we might be sent. And we need to be gathering with one another and saying, do you see this pattern? We need, yeah, yeah, we, we, we need to learn from this. How, what does that mean for our lives? How do we practically do that together? And I, you know, I'm feeling like we're sent to you know, this neighbor or that neighbor or this group of folks or, or, or this community. And how are we doing that together? So there are these continued patterns that we should look for. We'll talk more about being sent with others in the family of faith in a couple of weeks. 
but the two major patterns that I think really give shape to those other patterns are the two that we've talked about this morning. Incarnational, being with others in proximity, in the, the mess of life. And cruciform, to follow the pattern of Jesus' self-emptying love to give our lives for the good of others so that they may see a glimpse of the universal reign of God in Christ. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them the Spirit. He empowered them to go and to continue to participate in the mission of God. And the patterns that Jesus was sent, living with people, that cruciform way of self-emptying love, these are two of the major patterns that you and I are invited to participate in as we are sent. This morning, I'm going to invite you to... um, Rise in body or spirit to turn in your blue hymnal to number 356. And this hymn is called Breathe on Me, Breath of God. This is that, that, that moment where, where Jesus, you know, I, I love that, that the Greek does multiple things. He breathes on them, but he's, he's, he's passing on the spirit to them, empowering them to do the mission that he's just passed on to them. And so this hymn is also a prayer that God might continue to breathe his spirit on us as we are sent. Would you stand as we sing together?